excerpt. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 22. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time of peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever, whatever is has already been and what will, ha- what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tested them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits awaits them both. As one dies, so does the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises up, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? I saw that, I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring themselves to see what will happen after them? I've got three Bibles at the front here, probably any need, any need one. Thank you very much, NS, for reading, and uh, we're looking forward to meeting the baby in a, few, in a few weeks as well, a few weeks' time. We're excited about that. I'm Nathan. If we haven't met, really nice to see you here today. I'm one of the leaders of the, the church here at Trinity, and I hope you enjoy being with us today. Do feel free to, to stick around at the end. We'd love to get to know you if you're visiting or here for the first time. Well, again, Ecclesiastes, as we come to it, there's uh, bits that maybe make us scratch our heads as we hear that reading. So we need to pray to God for his help as we look at this together. Father God, your word is powerful. It's surprising to us at times for our ears. And I pray that as we, we listen to it now, that you would teach us, Lord. Help me to be clear in the way that that I guess go through this passage as we, as we look at what it means. And I pray that you would show us how to live 
in light of the wonderful truths that we discover in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've uh, been working from home this week or whether you've been going into the office or a bit of a mashup between the two, what your normal pattern is. But according to a YouGov poll this week, 39% of people said that they would work from home permanently if they could. It's quite a lot, isn't it? Nearly half the people in this poll, I mean, it's only one poll, but said that if they had the chance to be at the kitchen table working or the garden shed or wherever they can find a laptop charging point, they would want to do that rather than go back into the office. Maybe you think, yeah, that's me, or you think, no, that's crazy. I want to get out of, out of the home and into the office. But one of the, the key reasons, really, for, you would know this, why people would want to work from home is because, well, it gives them a better control of their time, doesn't it? Nail that, that perfect, you know, work-life balance that people are in search. You're more in control if you work from home. So you don't need to work. Uh, waste that hour or two commuting into the office. Uh, you can be home maybe for the bedtime story with your, your child that you maybe weren't able to do before. You can control your time. And, and let's be honest, you can make the co- cup of coffee for 15 minutes at home, leisurely making it without anyone sort of going, so where are they? Where have they been? You can get away with that maybe at home in a different way. But that dream of a, of a perfectly balanced working from home life, where you're in complete control of your diary and your your life, can pretty quickly come undone, can't it? You start the emails and you get a call from nursery. Your child's uh, got a temperature for the eighth time that term. You need to come in and get them. Oh, okay. Uh, Or the whole household suddenly has to go into isolation for five days or ten days or whatever it is at the moment. Or your boss rings you up and says, actually, I want you back in the office now for four days a week. And you think, oh... That illusion of being in control of my life is, well, click of the fingers. And that sense of being in control is just gone. And that is a picture of, well, of a bigger truth that we get in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, page 671, if you've lost it. And really, here's the sermon up front, okay? If you can take away one thing today. We're not in ultimate control of our lives. That's it. Ecclesiastes 3. We are not ultimately in control of our lives. God is. There was one person put it this week that I read. We're neither architect or site manager of our lives. Ultimately, only God. Only God has a master plan for our lives. And unless we give up the illusion of being in control of our life, you know, being in control of the ups and downs and the different seasons, unless we give that up, we're going to be deeply frustrated as we go through life. Yet, yet if we stand in awe of God, the sovereign Lord of time, knowing that he is good and that he is trustworthy, oh, then it's hugely liberating for life. As often then, this book of Ecclesiastes, it, it's uncomfortable for us as we hear it at times. It prods at us in places we don't want to be prodded. But actually, as we come to study, it, it gives a kind of great comfort and even a hope beyond what we dare to even believe. If you've not been around or you're visiting here for the first time this week, we're in this book then of Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament, and we've called the series Chasing After the Wind. 
Because it gets to grips with this big question in, uh, that we all face. What's the point in life? What is the meaning of life? And you might remember back in verse 3 of chapter 1, where it said, what gain, what profit is there? You know, at the end of our lives, as we look back at our life, what, what's to show for it? What kind of gain, what profit is there? And the teacher here will say, well, not a lot. Our life is, is fleeting. It's transitory. Because actually one day, the teacher said, all of us will die. Life is beyond our grasp. It's beyond our control. And actually the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he can say this. Do you remember last week if you were here? Uh, he had searched long and hard for, for what kind of meaning and satisfaction he could find in life. He looked for that in wisdom and work and pleasure. And he, he can say to us, looking back on his life, all of these things are sort of empty, meaningless. Hevel, that Hebrew word that's used. And so as we come to chapter 3, the teacher continues his observations uh, in life as he turns to the subject of time. And that's what we're going to see in these two points today. First of all, then, God is in control of time, so fear him. As Innes was uh, reading it out, it started with that beautiful poem. Maybe it sort of rang a bell with you. It's often uh, a poem that's read at weddings, sometimes funerals, presidential inaugurations even, those first eight verses. And, and the reason I think that they're so popular and so famous, these words, is that they masterfully sum up our experience of life, don't they? Look at the summary in verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 3. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. He says there's a time in verse 2 to be born and a time to die. You can't be much more sort of all-embracing, can you? Uh, all the way from the cradle to the grave. And the rest of this poem, it, it paints the extremes, the opposites of life. I learned a new word this week, the word marismus. Think I'm saying that right? I don't know, no one's correcting me, I'm not going to look. But that's, um, it's a poetic device that's used where you paint the opposites. So north, south, Arsenal, Spurs, see an Arsenal t-shirt at the back, that kind of thing. And he does that to show the extremes of life. You know, there's a time to, time to plant, he says. Uh, there's a time to uproot. And that was true of the tomato plant on our balcony that only turned green tomatoes, never went red. There's a time for that to be uprooted. But actually the same is true on a bigger scale in life. There's a time sometimes to stay and sometimes a time to move. It goes on, there's a time to kill, to heal, to, to tear down, to build up. This is the cycles of, of life. But verse 4, well, here's the emotions of life as well. It says there's a time to weep, a time to laugh. Time to mourn, a time to dance. It's an obvious thing to say, but sometimes those same experiences we share with the same people, don't we, in our lives? Think of um, friends of friends of mine, Ross and Tansy, uh, and at their wedding, I was privileged of being an usher at the wedding, and it was a, it was a beautiful wedding day. Funny speeches, everyone was having a great time, dancing long into the evening, lots of laughter. But then I think three years later of their 18-month-old girl who had died and in the front room of their house weeping and mourning with them, the extremes of life. And there's different activities, verse 5, that we're told here. 
very relevant to our COVID generation, isn't it? Verse 5, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Verse 6, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away. I don't know if you got into the Marie Kondo phase a few years ago. If it doesn't spark joy, throw it in the bin. If you have no idea what I'm saying, don't worry. Uh, But sometimes you need to throw things away. That's what he's saying here, and it goes on. And I think what we're supposed to see from this poem, this beautiful poem, these first eight verses, is that like in chapter one, where we saw, do you remember, the cycles of the sun and the sea and the wind, that these things just sort of come and go around, that we can't ultimately be in control of these things. We're not in charge of the seasons of life or the different cycles in life that we face. It's worth saying just as these verses, these aren't commands. This is not a list to order your priorities in life. So you think, gosh, I haven't been to war yet. Ecclesiastes said, I haven't killed. No, it's not, it's not saying that, obviously. No, rather it's more than the individual elements. We're to take this as a whole, as this poem. This is life, isn't it? The good, the bad, the, the ugly. Maybe Charles Dickens got it right. Do you remember when he said at the beginning of that book, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And we see that the negative and positive aspects of our relationship with time, negatively then, verses 9 to 11, in our fallen world that is under the curse of sin, time to us, it will be a burden at times. Look at verse 9 again. Verse 9 says this. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. So that central question again in Ecclesiastes, verse 9, what gain, what, what profit is there from life? Well, there is none. Time is a burden. Time is a tyrant. And we get that, don't we, from the the kind of phrases that you've probably used some of them today, haven't you? Time marches on. Or I wish I could roll back the years. Or gosh, is that the time? Later in the sermon you might be asking that question, potentially. But actually in our time-poor central London lives, we, we feel the burden of time, don't we? We're letting someone down. Because we haven't made time for that. There's something else added to the to-do list. We, we're running out of time. We don't have enough time. We, we feel that, don't we, in our everyday lives. And one of the burdens we face is that as human beings, we want to understand. We want to see the big picture of life, of everything that is going on. But, well, verse 11, we can't fathom God's plans. It's impossible for us as human beings to see the big picture of what is going on. We can't see the big picture. We can't control the seasons and stages of our life. But whilst we are bound by time, God isn't. As we sang earlier, time is in his hands. A few years ago, I went to the Royal Opera House. That's not the kind of place that I tend to go on a Friday night, but I was there a few years ago, and um, I think it was, I just sn- uh, snuck into the category at the time where it was five pound tickets for under the age of 30 or 25 or whatever it was at the time, and that was really nice, five pounds for, you know, a couple of hours of, of wonderful entertainment in the Royal Opera House, 
The only problem was our seats were just terrible. They were like right at the, you know, when it's restricted viewing and you book it and you think, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. And it's, and it's not. Uh, maybe some of you have got that behind the, the pillars today. But um, Royal Opera House, right at the very top. And quite a lot of what was going on stage was happening on the right of the stage. And we just couldn't see it. So we were sort of craning our neck to try and see what was going on. And everyone was laughing along and, oh, you know, fantastic. And we, no, we can't see what's happening. And you had to sort of get the phone out and Wikipedia it to see what the plot line is during the performance. Still worth it, though. Still go. But that's a bit like that with life, isn't it? We're not in control. We can't see the whole stage and everything that God is doing in our lives. But one of the functions of this burden of time that God has lays on us is, is also that it makes us yearn for heaven. It lo- makes us long for something more. See, you and I are bound by time, but we're wired for eternity. Look at C.S. Lewis. Uh, quotes it brilliantly here. Uh, puts it brilliantly in his quote. Creatures, that's you and I, are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world could satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You see what he's saying there? If we have this longing that we do for eternity, well, that's because there is an eternity and we are time-bound here. Time can feel like a burden, but positively, it's also a gift. Like last week, because God is, is sovereignly in control of time and all things, it frees us, verse 12, to do what? Well, he says there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. See, positively here, it shows that, well, life is a privilege. There is good for us to do with the time that God has given us. Do you remember how Paul puts it in the New Testament? God has prepared good works for us to do. He's prepared good for us to do in life. And why has God ordered all of these things that we can't see the whole picture in the big stage? Well, the end of verse 14 tells us. It's so that we might fear him. That's different than the words maybe we use as fear. It's not that we're terrified of him. It's more that we're in awe of him, his majesty. We're to treat him as he truly is. So let me ask just a question. Accepting your... Well, your time-bound limitations, do you fear God? Do you trust him? Do you rest your life on him? Because his is the only solid foundation in the turbulent times of this life, in this world. Trusting that he knows all things. Yes, the joys, also the struggles. And do you believe he's making something beautiful of your life, even if you can't always figure out all the details? We're to fear and trust him. I don't know if you saw on, um, I think it was Tuesday this week, a video that made the rounds of a a plane trying to land at Heathrow. Did anyone see that? Um, Yeah, Katie's like, yeah, I've watched it three times. Um, We saw a video, and it it was a plane coming into Heathrow trying to land, and it, it failed the first landing. So they sort of bounced off the 
no, I hope no one's flying this week. It's sort, of, oh. um, it sort of bounced off the tarmac, and the wing came down, and they had to circle around, and then, and then they came down the next time, and it landed safely, uh, to, you know, very fortunately. And it was caught up in Storm Corrie. I don't know if you came across that. But you imagine people that, that day as they were boarding the flight, I think, in Edinburgh, where it was. Probably, oh, it's a bit windy today, isn't it? I'll put my coat on. Didn't really think more about it. But when the, well, the first landing attempt sort of fails... At that moment, as they, you know, tighten the seatbelts all over again, you'd realize, wouldn't you, if you're on that flight, you can't do anything. You you don't have access to air traffic control to to hear what they're saying. You can't land the plane. Your your life is in the pilot's hands very much. And of course, if the passengers knowing that morning, they would have chosen the flight that was smooth and easy and fine and got them there safely, but... But it would help to know, wouldn't it, that the pilot for that flight had had intensive training, that he had landed thousands of flights before, and actually that he was going to land that one safely as well. That would help, wouldn't it? And with our life, it's a little bit like this picture that's going to come up here, I think, sometimes. We would love to curate our life, wouldn't we? Like the top one there, just every, all the bad bits gone, all the good bits lovely, so that our life just, just soars along. But actually, we're called to trust that God's sovereign control, even if it feels a little bit more like that bottom picture there. Of course, all of this, though, raises the question, doesn't it? If God is is in control, if he's the author of both good uh, and bad seasons of our life, how do we make sense of all the injustices, all the wrongdoing in our world? And that's the second point that we see here. God will right all wrongs, so live for him. Verse 16, if you look back down to there, it raises the issue, doesn't it? He says, I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. So probably saw my children going slightly crazy before they went out to their groups. But it's the cry, isn't it, of the, the three or four-year-old in the school playground, hey, that's not fair. You know, someone's nicked my scooter or whatever it is. That's not fair. And actually, all of us kind of, life carries on a bit like that, doesn't it? We don't, maybe we don't shout it in quite the same way, but there's loads of those moments where we go, hey, that's not fair that that's happened. Maybe it's the bullying at school. Corrupt leaders, rigged elections, global sex trafficking, women raped, people treated appallingly just for the color of their skin. Jimmy Savile's name came up again this week. I should be familiar with that. Do you remember Boris Johnson earlier this week? He accused um, Keir Starmer, the Labour uh, leader, of failing to prosecute Jimmy Savile, where he could have had that opportunity, apparently, to do that. And most people said it wasn't the stage, it wasn't the right place for Boris Johnson to be making those comments. But actually, it was a reminder, wasn't it, that Jimmy Savile, for all he did, was never prosecuted. It's a reminder that actually injustice in our world seems so often to go unpunished, doesn't it? Just think for a minute. Look, if, if there is no God, what hope is there? What, what comfort is there for those who have been treated appallingly, unjustly, victims of abuse, evil regimes, families, connected to what Jimmy Savile did. If there is no reckoning for what they have done, if there's no judgment at all, 
Well, the logical conclusion is that, well, people can just do what they want. You saw that a little bit in, in 1977 in New York City. This is nothing against New York City because it happens for people all over the world, just to say that. But in New York in 1977, there was a lightning hit the city and there was a power outage and all the sort of lights went, all the power went in, in New York. And absolute anarchy came to the streets. There was looting of stores and then people set alight the stores to sort of uh, brush away the, the evidence. 75 shops were looted, 550 police were injured, and it was the ultimate case of, of nobody's watching, so I can do what I want. And Charlotte tells me, my wife tells me from teaching at her school and teaching geography, after every natural disaster, this happens. People think, oh, there's no accountability, I'll just do what I want. But it is pretty chilling to think, isn't it, if there is no justice, no judgment, well, many Victims, the majority of victims, will, will never have their grievances put right. And that's why we cry out for verse 17, where the teacher says there, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. It's, it's as if God here is sort of time-traveling backwards for a day of great reckoning. As David Gibson, one person put it, he said, every single thing that happens will have its day in court. And that is terrifying for, well, for the unbeliever facing that judgment from God. It's also a huge comfort, isn't it, for those who have faced injustice in this life to know that that day is coming. Every wrong will be righted. But we're not there yet. And the, remind, the reminder comes then from the teacher, as he does many, many times in this book of Ecclesiastes, that actually in this life, we, well, we die. This life that we have, it, it ends. In Ecclesiastes, I think the fixed reality of death is kind of like the spiritual smelling salts to, to wake us up and to humble us, to show what we really are. So look at verse 19. It says, surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so the other dies. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything's meaningless. You might have been there at small groups earlier this week, Tuesday. If you haven't joined the small groups yet, do, you, do you get involved. Come and chat to me afterwards. It's a brilliant thing to, to be part of. But we looked at Genesis chapter 2. And the, one of the big things we saw was the dignity of how human beings are made. It's wonderful, made in the image of God. And so we read this and we think, uh, what's, what's going on here? Well, it's not being undermined by what the teacher's saying here. Rather, he's saying, look, our ultimate destiny here from, from this life is actually, in the same sense, we, we go to the grave. We die, just like the cow and the cat and the caterpillar. One day, we will be no more. We're in the territory in this life of, of not Genesis 2, but Genesis 3. We're not in the Garden of Eden, but we're in a world that is under the fall and sin. It's the language of funerals, isn't it? Came from dust, and to dust we do return. And so with all of this, this chapter we're looking, what, what are we to do? Well, we're to live for God. Verse 22, we're to enjoy life and the ordinary gifts that he gives us. 
we're to enjoy the, the steak and chips or, you know, the plant-based burger, if that's, if that's more your style. We're to enjoy that project at work that we can really sort of get our teeth into. That's good. That's from God. We're to enjoy it. And we're to enjoy the, the time that God gives us, the time that we have here as, as a gift through life. The different seasons, the different stages that he gives us. I drove down last Saturday to Devon. Uh, it was a Friday. Friday. I drove down to Devon on my own and I listened. I downloaded John Bishop's autobiography. You might have come across him as a scouse comedian. And it was, it was quite a funny listen and lots of, it was quite funny as I was driving. I had to concentrate driving on the road. Um, but there was one really poignant bit where he was talking about his life and his family. And he said, look, family, that time that you have, with time with friends, it's so precious. And he said, I wish I could wind back the clock. He's got three grown-up boys. He said, I wish I could wind back the clock to, to those times where I held my son's hand. Because it gets to a stage with any boy where they, you, you don't say anything. You just look at each other and it's no longer acceptable to go down the street holding hands. They think that maybe that you're their carer or something like that. He said, you, you just sort of, you just stop it. And that, that starts, he said, I wish... I'd do anything just to go back to that moment where I could hold their hand. And I was driving, I was tearing up, you know, come on, Nathan, let's, let's get there safely. But actually, he sort of understands Ecclesiastes. Enjoy that season God has given you. Or for the newborn kids, you know, the mums that are up in the night. And this is going to be quite soon for you. Those, those you know, graining times, nothing in life quite like it. But actually, those burps in the minute, enjoy those moments that God has given Enjoy people in your life, even if you know they're only going to be here for a season. Enjoy those moments. Enjoy serving in church. Enjoy fellowship with others. So we've seen those two big things. God's in control of time, so fear him. God will right all wrongs, so live for him. But actually we're left, just as we close, at the end of this chapter, aren't we, with, a, with an incomplete picture. Actually, it's only until we come to the New Testament where we see in full HD how injustices will be dealt with and death will be overcome. See, as we encounter the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, he is the one who answers the big questions of life. Injustice, the, the big enemy of death. He makes sense of this world topsy-turvy life that we live. It's striking, actually, I was thinking this week of how many times the, the New Testament picks up the theme of time in different ways. We're told that God, the author of time, sent Jesus when the set time had fully come, as Galatians 4 puts it. Well, Jesus enters public ministry around the age of 30. Do you remember what he keeps on saying? My hour, my time has not yet come until his time did come and he died on the cross. And it was as if time stood still. And then on the third day, he rose victorious. And the Bible says at just the right time, he will return. He will come back. And actually on that day, every wrong will be righted. Every injustice will be judged. And more than eternity just being set in our hearts, eternity will be ours forever with him. I spoke to a friend of mine earlier this week called Will, and his, um, his dad is, is dying. And he's got a, a sizable, aggressive tumour on his, his brain. 
and it was killed quite sudden. And Will, uh, Will said his, his dad's got three, maybe six, six months tops to live. And for Will and, and his dad and the family, they're, they're processing this as they find it out. Um, and look, life for them and, and life for many of us, it will throw those baffling moments, won't it? We'll experience huge highs in life. Maybe some of you are in that at the moment. You think, Nate, why are we studying this book? It's so sad in places. And others will go, yeah, that's kind of my life at the moment. Or, yeah, I've been through that recently. Desperate highs and desperate lows. But actually the Christian can say, Will's dad can say these words that I'll finish with. From the hymn in Christ alone. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Let me pray. Lord, this life that we live now, it, it can seem like that bottom picture where it's so up and down and we experience different seasons. And like, Lord, some of us are in lovely seasons at the moment where life is is perhaps going swimmingly. And maybe we're to listen and help those who are having harder times. For others even here today, they're going through such desperate hardships and difficulties that our hearts long for eternity. Thank you that Ecclesiastes points beyond itself to the person of Jesus, who came, who died, who will one day return to call those who follow him home. What a hope we have. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,